welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, again, happy Mother's Day to the moms out there, surrogate moms as well, and those listening as well. We want to uh, say a congratulations and recognize our newest first-time mom, Erica Strutner, and her husband, Kyle, welcomed Leo Jeffrey Strutner. Born on May 5th, 5.31 a.m. What were you doing on May 5th, 5.31? I know what she was doing. Uh, Weighing six pounds, three ounces. Mom and dad and baby are doing well. And Kyle, who plays on our worship team, is convinced that Leo will be a right-handed guitar player. So no pressure, Leo, but you better get practicing. So yes, shout out to all the moms. We are so glad. What a day to to honor you. And we know at the same time, too, that... um, yeah, this can be a tough day, you know, for some as well. And so we want to pray with faith that you would know that our God is present. God is present with you. Maybe you, you lost a mom or maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your mom, whatever it would be of a separation of some sort. You know, in Christ, God does not waste our pain. Isn't that good news? And maybe as you come today, whatever you hear today, that the Lord would just lead you to bring your pain to him. God will not waste it when you bring it to him. Let's, let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, would you teach us what it means to lay our whole selves at your feet, including our pain? Yes, our faith. Yes, our love. Yes, our devotion. And our pain we lay down at your feet. Lord, thank you for not wasting anything when we're in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, we're celebrating this past week. My, my wife had her birthday on May 5th as well. So birthday buddies with Leo and Katie. They could you know, celebrate cake every year. And it's Mother's Day as well. And Katie's a great mom, a great wife, a wonderful partnership as we raise our kids. And so as we're looking at Ephesians 6 and this uh, emphasis on families and, and kids and parents, um, just what, what a great thing for me to have a partner to help me with that kitty homeschools our two kids and a couple other kids um, every day just pouring in them every subject you can imagine she's doing even though I studied math uh, she's handling even math better than, than me and I take care of the important stuff which is like 1980s trivia is like my my role as a dad and so I teach my kids important things like who is the best band ever you too of course Bono you too best band ever right they love you too not really um that in the 80s, of course, Tevas and socks, really fashionable is what I teach them as well. And, and there was a computer game called Tetris. Best game still ever, 1980. So you can see this dad needs a little bit of help. Uh, and that's what this passage is about because Paul is saying, fathers, you have a job. And so don't tune out, mothers, don't tune out if you're a surrogate grandparent, whatever it would be, because today's scripture, it has a word for mothers, but especially fathers like me who need a little bit of help. But it's for anyone who cares for kids, anyone who cares for families. There's a word for us today. Uh, It's a word for all of us, whatever situation you come from, whether your family situation is amazing or your family situation is fairly broken, God doesn't waste our pain. I'm going to remind you where we have been. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians uh, 2,000 years ago or so, and he spends the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, extolling the majesty of God the Father, how this good God reached out down to us and through his Son, Jesus Christ, made a way for each one of us, as we say yes to Jesus, to be adopted not only as children of God, but specifically as sons of God. And that's important because in that time, 
2,000 years ago, it was only the sons who can inherit all of the riches of the father. You are a son of God, daughter of God. You're a son of God, son of God. You are the inheritors of the great riches of God the Father. The first three chapters focusing on who God is and who you are in him. And then he spends the next three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, extolling, exhorting us because we are secure in Christ, because we are seated at the right hand of God, because we are adopted sons of God. This is how you should naturally live. And in fact, Paul in Ephesians 5.18, he says this, be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine, be controlled by the Spirit. Because of this great God who loves you with the everlasting love, your natural response is to be, built, be filled with the Spirit, to listen to Him. Be under the influence, not of the culture, but of God, the Father, and of His Son and the Spirit that lives within you. And then he states a specific outcome of being filled with the Spirit. And he says this in verse 21 of chapter 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the word submitting, I taught last week, it's a Greek word, hupostasso, and it means you are standing under Christ, and you're now standing under one another. Because of Christ and all he's done for you, your natural response is to be a servant like Christ's fathers, a servant like Christ's husband, a servant like Christ's mothers, a servant like Christ. All of you are in Christ. Hupo stasso. Standing under Jesus Christ, out of reverence for Christ, literally. And standing under Christ and standing under one another. Why? Because you're filled with the Spirit. Because of this great God the Father who has adopted you into his family. You are secure. You are loved. Your natural response is to say, yes, Jesus, to whatever he asks. I will serve you wherever you tell me to go. Standing under Christ is standing under one another. Jews and Gentiles who hated each other stand under one another in Christ. Democrats and Republicans stand under one another. Husbands and wives, children and parents stand under one another because you are secure as daughters and sons of the king. You see, because the debt that we owe to Jesus is to be given to another. Why? Because we stand under Christ. And out of reverence for our security in the great and glorious one, we serve and we love Servanthood is central to this whole section. And what he's doing is Paul is extending this aspect of servanthood to families in these four particular verses. And so if you want to open, keep your Bibles open to chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to share five Ps in the next 20 minutes or so. The first one is this, that parenting is positional. Secondly, that parenting is a priority. Thirdly, that parenting has parameters. Fourthly, that parenting is a partnership. And fifthly, that partnering with parents is a priority. You didn't think I could do it. I have P's all throughout, all five of those. Here we go. Let's look at the first one. Verse one, that parenting is positional. Verse one, it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Now, I want to remind you that Paul begins in chapter 5 with wives and husbands standing under Christ and encouraging wives to submit to husbands, as we talked about last week, and husbands to love wives. And we're talking about them standing under each other. And then he turns in chapter 6 to children and parents to stand under one another and continues, I believe, in the next section, servants and masters. We'll tackle that next week. In Christ, because you stand under Christ, stand under one another. Now, to remind you, in Greco-Roman society and in Jewish culture of that time, husbands had total authority over their wives. So you have to go back with me 2,000 years to a time in that society when because of the Roman aspect of patria potestis, which that means is the father had ultimate power over everything. That means under Roman rule, Ephesian fathers had the power absolutely over their family. In what way? They could legally beat their children with no consequences. They can imprison their children with no consequences. They could sell their children into slavery. No consequences. Even put them to death. Now, sadly, wives were property as well as children under Roman rule. Husbands could divorce their wife just because they didn't like how the food came out. And they could take on as many new wives at the same time or partners as much as they wanted to. Whatever pleased the man is what ruled. Now, in verse 1, where it says, children obey your parents, I know it doesn't sound that radical, but at first glance, what we see is something that Paul is doing here. He's actually addressing kids. Remember, kids in that society were nothing, nothing like we do here. I mean, we do a wonderful job at celebrating children in our society. We love kids. We celebrate them, sometimes maybe even coddle them a little bit. First place trophies, no matter if you've been competed. Come on, you guys. Come on. Come on. Right? So what we have here is a complete opposite 2,000 years ago. He's addressing children. No one does that. And in fact, he not only addresses the boys... He's addressing the girls because in that time and culture, it was fine, it was moral, it was good for a family if you got a girl instead of a boy, you just take the baby girl out to the dump area and you leave him out to die or to be eaten or as Christians did for hundreds of years, adopt them. 2,000 years ago, it was fine to just extinguish a life if it wasn't convenient for you. I wish I could say 2,000 years later, that's not a problem anymore, right? We can just give away a life. Say, whether this baby lives or dies doesn't matter. That's what it was like 2,000 years ago. What Paul does, he's elevating children by acknowledging them. You value, you are valued by God. Children, he's saying, remember, your freedom in Christ. Don't forget children with your new value in Christ that you never knew your adopted sons, heirs of the king of kings. Hey, don't be rude to your parents. <laughs> Obey them. Listen to them. Even though you have this newfound freedom in Christ, don't forget to obey so what Paul does, he's not eradicating the cultural norms of his day, but radically redefining them from within because of Christ's servant's love. He's doing it from within. The authority of husbands, fathers, and masters over wives, children, and slaves would have been unquestioned in the first century. 
But so here's the thing that Paul does that would have shocked his readers and his hearers. Paul calls the men in charge to be a servant like your King Jesus. You say you're following Jesus? Well, let's see it with your life, men. Husbands to wives, fathers to children, and slaves to masters. Paul calls the men to be servants. And he's calling, of course, the women and the kids as well. We're all under Christ. But he's highlighting something that would have been shocking in that time. Men, instead of exuding only power and authority and control, don't forget you have a father in heaven who gave everything to you, who laid his life down for you. Who are you to hold on to all this power and coercion and control? Jesus laid down his life for you. You were to do the same. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it'd be like today telling a conservative Muslim in Afghanistan to just go ahead and let your, let your wife uh, go uncovered, their head uncovered through public. No problem. You know right now in Afghanistan, a woman, you cannot do that right now. You must be fully covered in a burqa or, or receive physical punishment. You imagine how radical what Paul is saying here to these families? Or be, in a lesser way, maybe think of this like telling, imagine telling a football coach on the field, for now on, every single play, we're just going to let the players choose whatever they want at any time. Like, that's okay sometimes. <laughs> but the coach is a coach for a reason. There's order. What Paul was doing is radically changing these foundational relationships out of deference to who? Christ, the servant king. Men, be like Christ. Women, be like Christ, standing under Christ, standing under one another. I'm going to launch into a second P. Look at verses 2 and 3. Paul continues. He says this, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see, parenting is a priority for Paul. Now, what Paul is doing here, he's not saying to blindly obey, obey parents' kids. He is saying to honor parents, and honoring parents is tied to honoring God. What Paul is doing here, he's quoting Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, which is telling Israel to go into the promised land, but you must do this. You must have your families intact. Kids must obey parents. Families were essential to the building up of the nation of Israel, the people of God. And the family unit was to express the love and the unity of God himself. And in doing that, it would bring blessing not only to the nation, but yes, to the families themselves, to the communities as well. Now, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he knows that the family that God intended on planet Earth was nothing like it should be, right? Husbands just going around, sleeping around with whatever they want. Husbands treating wives as property. Husbands treating, fathers treating kids as property. This is not how it's supposed to be. Husbands domineering over wives. Fathers were harsh with their kids. Paul makes families a priority in this new life in Christ. He's saying this is essential as we move forward, that parents get this right. You see, in today's age, 2,000 years later, raising kids is harder and more important than ever. You probably already know this, but young people today are the least likely of the demographics in the United States to attend church. If you were born before 1946, I'm not looking for a show of hands, it's likely there's a 66% chance that Americans born before 1946, they're going to church. 66%. 
Fast forward several decades, now for millennials, there are people in their 30s largely, it's just 36%. And imagine that downward trend for people in their 20s, people in their teens. This is what's happening in America for our young people. The downward trend of identifying with and engaging biblical Christianity is expected to continue. And even when we in the church are successful, we have some amazing things that our church and other sister churches are doing. When we're successful in engaging young people with biblical Christianity, there's still a statistic going around, which is true, that 70% of Christian students who used to attend youth groups are walking away in college from their faith. That's even when we're successful. You see how hard this is? To instill biblical values and biblical worldview in young people today. And so what I see is this, that we need to prioritize parents and families in a day that when the very idea of a family is being challenged on every front, from every direction, we're getting challenged. You know, your, your session of elders and pastors, we're working on our 10-year vision. And what we see, we're sensing God asking us to renew our commitment to our family ministry. Ephesians 6 perfectly highlights this essential need to partner with parents to disciple their kids. And as a church family, we get to follow Paul in making families of all kinds a biblical and strategic priority. Parenting is a priority. Thirdly, parenting has parameters. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction, fathers. And in fact, actually, the, the word for fathers there can include mothers as well. But fathers in particular who are known for being harsh. Says, no, don't provoke. Don't be harsh. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I have a tough time with this sometimes. And I made an occasional misstep in my parenting duties. And the most recent one is what our family calls the almond croissant incident of 2022. I was in a Trader Joe's, uh, Grayson's birthday coming up. We we're going to celebrate big time. And so uh, she, was, she wasn't eating sugar for 30 days. So it was going to be a big day of treats on her birthday. So we're preparing an awesome breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, treats, right? It's going to be fun. And so being the good dad that I am, I walked in Trader Joe's and I saw in the frozen section four take-home frozen almond croissants that you take these out and you leave them overnight and they puff up and then you bake them and I'd be the dad of all dads and she'd wake up to fresh almond croissants. Is this a, who thinks this is a good idea? Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful idea. Now, Katie said, Tim, you might want to consider after 30 days of no sugar and on an empty stomach, the first thing that she should eat is being an almond croissant. So I did what any good dad would do. I took a vote. I said, kids, who's going to get sick from eating this almond croissant? And all the kids agreed with me. No, we're not going to get sick. Okay. They agreed. I was very democratic. Is this a good dad? We took a vote. That's what good dads do. So Katie said, well, you might not want to have grace in the first thing, empty stomach. And so what I heard was, go ahead and do whatever you want. So I made the almond croissants. And strangely enough, a couple hours after she had the croissant, during breakfast, I think she had some bad orange juice because she has a really bad tummy ache. And so we disagree with the source of it, but we call this the almond croissant incident of 2022. There you go. I need a little help sometimes 
with boundaries, right? I want to be the fun dad, right? Do whatever you want. And sometimes as fathers, maybe even mothers, we had such strict upbringing that we kind of catapult the other way. But the Lord says through Paul, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, the Bible isn't saying to give your kids whatever they want. Verse 4 said, give them discipline. Give them instruction, fathers. And that's mothers too. Order, limits. And some of us parents were struggling with giving limits. Some of us grandparents are struggling with limits. I see it. And we hear it, our, our staff here, as we, as we lovingly uh, minister to kids uh, in our church, outside our church. Man, one of the hardest things is limiting the, the amount of social media and digital experience that's throughout the day. It's constant. You know what we're seeing? My friends who are counselors and therapists at major universities, really depressed kids entering colleges. There's so much comparison. Our kids are struggling with stuff that some of us never had to deal with. All this comparison, 24-7. Did you take a picture? How's the food look? How's my almond croissant? You know, I mean, oh my gosh, the comparison. FOMO, fear of missing out. Man, it's causing mental health issues for so many people. And kids are one of the ones struggling the most. Kids need limits, parents. I need, I need to do that too. Fathers, you don't provoke your kids. What you do is you lovingly lead kids toward godly things. In verse 4, of the Lord, of the Lord things. You being under Christ, you pass on to your kids things of the Lord. Talking about Jesus. Praying, serving, and questioning a lot of kids have great questions about God, about the Bible. Yes, question together. Extending grace towards one another. Forgiving each other. You see, obeying parents is the right thing to do for all children. And yet, notice that the obedience is it's of the Lord. That's the context. And so there's a difference, notice, between obeying and honoring because of this, because of sin in this world, that means us parents, we're not perfect. Us grandparents, we're not perfect. Us surrogate parents and grandparents, we make mistakes because of sin in this world. And sometimes there are some grand mistakes that a child might even need to disobey. Let me give you an example. Even when I was growing up in high school, this is a long time ago, this is the 80s. I had friends, kids who had the cool parents. You know what the cool parents did? Oh, they bought alcohol for their kids. Oh, they bought drugs for their kids. They had no problem taking off on trips and kids ran the house. Kids need limits. That is not parenting in the Lord. And so if you're a Christian kid trying to follow Christ and you have a parent who was saying, oh, go ahead, drink as much as you want, drugs, whatever it would be, whatever makes you happy, the godly thing to do might be to disobey. You pray about it. You talk to a pastor, talk to your parents, talk to people you trust, but there's going to be some moments when disobeying because of Christ might be the right thing to do. But you can still honor your parents, respect them. You talk with them, you listen to them. You might respectfully disagree. You need to talk through. And obviously there's some things you need to listen to your parents, of course. But don't forget parents were under Christ first. And your kids are under Christ first. We're standing under Christ. 
and then standing under one another. And so kids, obey your parents unless what they themselves are doing, they're not teaching something that is going to do the right thing in the way of Christ. That'd be something you might want to reconsider and still honor them and you forgive them and respect them and love them and pray for them and obey them when they're giving you godly advice. And sometimes you might need to obey with something that maybe you disagree with. The Lord is with you in the midst of all of it. Let me give you fourthly, we're going to keep going. Parenting is a partnership. Again, verse four, when it says fathers, in the Greek it says pater, it's the plural of this. It could include mothers as well. Just want to remind us for mothers, don't tune out on Mother's Day. This word to fathers also goes into all parents because in verse one, all parents are being addressed. Mothers and fathers, we partner together because parenting is hard. We need other people. And if you're a single parent, you need other adults in your life to help parent your kids. We want to come alongside as a church and be an extended family to you as well. Uh, Pastor Reed Jolly shared this Mark Twain quote with me. Mark Twain says this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. It is hard raising kids. We know one day they're going to see your wisdom, right? We need to partner together, mothers and fathers, to raise our kids in the Lord. We need to partner together, all families, with other godly adults. And even sometimes godly teens are going to help raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. See, husbands and wives partnering together, it's essential. We bring something essential to the parenting process. And again, finding other adults in your kids' lives who shine the light of Jesus. And so when we think of families at Carmel Presbyterian Church, yeah, the majority of our families, it's a, it's a mom and a dad with a certain number of kids in the household. But not all. We have single parents. We have other, we have other kids who parents don't go to church. We have other ones where we have people who are forming surrogate, you know, as surrogate parents and surrogate grandparents. Amen. Let's keep doing all of that. We should imagine all forms of families at our church. Uh, married and singles, families of young children and those still parenting adult children. You know, the data is showing more and more that adolescence is going into the 20s, into the late 20s. The normal development that would have happened in the teens maybe decades ago is happening in the late 20s. You're still parenting. And again, many of us are surrogate parents and grandparents, aren't we? Let's keep doing the good work. And many of you who don't have children living with you, that's fine. This is still a word for you because you're impacting young people as grandparents and surrogate parents. I know of a a gentleman in our church in his 80s who weekly is meeting with a teen in our church for a Bible study with a group of guys. Isn't that great? You can still have an impact. They don't have to be your direct bloodline or they don't have to live in your household. You have a role. We have adults of all different ages investing in kids in different ways, investing in teens. Thank you. Thank you for encouraging parents. It is harder than ever to be a parent in this day and age in America. Pray for them. Encourage them. Just the other day, one of our younger dads met an older dad who's empty nesting, and they got together for coffee, just encouraging one another. This older dad saying, pray for you. Hang in there. Thank you. Keep doing that. See, the church is a partner to all shapes and sizes of families. And involving parents is a vital 
keys to the discipleship process. Because you realize that we in the church, as church leaders, as church staff, we have limited hours with your kids and grandkids. You recognize that. Some stats say is that we have annually as few as 40 hours as a church in our programs to, to impact your kids and grandkids. Where a parent, on average, might have as high as 3,000 hours over a course of a year to impact their kids. And so we, as, as churches, we need to be very strategic how we spend those 40-so hours every year. And some kids have more, some kids have less. we got to be very strategic with the relatively few hours we have. And so instead of seeing the church as the primary place where discipleship happens, what if we shifted to be where the church is the primary partner with you parents and grandparents and other adults doing Christ's work, that we're the primary partner as we disciple kids together. On this journey of discipleship in Christ, the church is not the primary place. You bring a kid to all of our programs, so please come to our programs. We had a great VBS plan. We have some great camps planned this summer. Awesome. We have a, a parenting roundtable that was great uh, last month. Awesome. Please come. But guess what? We have limited hours. We want to partner with you. What if church became the primary partner to help you disciple and love your kids? So let's keep doing the great things that we're doing as we grow in Christ and help our children grow in Christ. But let's do some new things that we, as we prioritize the church being a primary partner for those of you who are influencing kids in your lives. Last P, number five, partnering with parents as a priority. I've already kind of started on it. You see, most churches in America see ministry to families primarily as hiring staff, creating programs, and convincing families to come to our programs. All good stuff. But an essential missing ingredient is to also engage parents, engage caregivers, engage the positive influence in kids' lives by equipping them as disciples, because we have a limited amount of hours in our programs. In fact, a stat would show that only 25% of youth pastors in America and only 70% of senior pastors in America believe it's a priority to get parents involved in discipling their kids. A priority. Well, we want to be one of the few churches out there then that flips that. We want to make it a priority to partner with you, parents and other adults impacting kids for the sake of Christ. So what results from this attitude, though, is a a lack of engaging parents. It becomes a church-centered approach, and it creates a false expectation. What's the false expectation? That the church and our staff and our programs, that we're the primary disciple of of your kids. And we're not. We're one important piece. And what happens, this disempowers you as parents and grandparents, and it puts unrealistic expectations upon churches. We have limited hours. We're going to do the best we can with our hours in our VBS, in our camps, in our trips, in our small groups. Awesome. But guess what? You have even more hours, and we want to partner with you to help you disciple the kids in your lives. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, this little short section is a reminder that God is calling parents to be the primary godly influencers in their kids' lives. And we want to help you make an impact in your family's life, in this life and the life to come. I mean, what you do 
with your kids and your household, the kids in your orbit, it matters. It matters in this life and it matters in the life to come. I'm going to close with this story. It's about a mom. Her name's Gloria Walker. And Gloria had this lifelong dream of visiting the Egyptian pyramids, but it wasn't until she was diagnosed with terminal cancer that her son, Dustin, decided to, listen to this, sell Philly steak sandwiches out of his apartment to raise money to bless his mom. And he did it. Philly, on top of being a teacher, he's selling Philly cheesesteak sandwiches out of his door, raised the money, took her to Egypt, had the time of her life, fulfilled a lifelong dream. The love of a mother to a son, son to a mother is exemplified in this beautiful story. She got home, and a few weeks later, she went to be with the Lord. Oh, man, they had the most beautiful time. And her son had a child of his own months later and named him their boy Glory after his mom. And he says, you know, if I could be half the parent that my mom was to me, I know what I would have made her happy. And praise be to God. You have a chance in this life, parents, grandparents, surrogate parents, to make an impact on kids. Oh, parents, listen to this. We want to partner with you as your church to help you disciple, to to instruct, to, to discipline, to love. Yes, even to serve your kids with limits but with love, with direction, but with grace. We want to partner with you as a priority for our church. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are the one who set the standard. Oh my goodness, you've given us so much grace, so much love. We can never pay you back. And that's the reality. It is simply by grace that we are saved. But because we are saved, Lord, we want to serve We recognize the Holy Spirit in us calling us to be not only under Christ, but under one another. Lord, I pray for fathers. I pray you would strengthen them, show them how to love and serve and to lead their kids. I pray for mothers on this Mother's Day. Show them how to, like a godly mother, to lead and to serve their kids. I pray for children. First of all, for they would come to know you. And as they come to know you, they'd be under you, Jesus, and obeying and listening to parents. Oh, Lord, show us what it looks like when we are loving and serving you first and loving and serving one another. Oh, Lord, I pray for our families and our church, families of all shapes and sizes, of all ages, of all realities, Lord. We know you won't waste our pain. And we are praying, Lord, for joy to be within the walls of the homes, Lord. Joy in you, because you're showing us the way to serve you and to love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.